Do you want to become a better hockey player this summer with Paul Vincent Hockey? Since 1972, Paul Vincent, currently the head skills instructor of the Florida Panthers, has been developing NHL and college hockey players. Paul Vincent stands by his saying, there is always room for player development. Players such as Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Matt Grizzlick, Patrick Sharp, Adam Oates, and many more have trained with Coach Vincent and his staff and have outstanding results. Join Paul Vincent this summer at one of his four Massachusetts locations, Canton, Saugus, Middleton, and Falmouth on Cape Cod. Registration is now open for 2022 camps. To reserve your spot today, go to pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. That's pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. Paul Vincent is ready to get back to work this summer. Are you? Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome back to another edition of New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. I am your host, Kirk Ludicky, joined by my guest host today, Matt Cater, in studio in Milton. And we have a special treat for you today. We are joined by Brian McGonigal, a.k.a. Rear Admiral, a.k.a. R.A. of Spittin' Chicklets, Hockey guy, Charlestown guy, all around good guy, and we are thrilled to have you, R.A. Thanks for joining us. Correct, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah, I think you've maybe had an uh, experience doing a podcast or two. I don't know. What what episode are you guys up to now? Uh, we just dropped 381, uh, plus we did a, a couple, I think a couple dozen roughly before we got picked up by Boston. so we're probably over 400 by now. Well, yeah, I don't think we've even hit 50 here on the rink-wise. We were a young, fledgling podcast, but hey, the big reason you're here is uh, in addition to being a, a local uh, celeb non pari <laughs> as we would say, is uh, you are a hockey guy. You are a hockey fan. Um, you've been a hockey fan longer than you've been drawing uh, breaths of air from, from what I understand, and, and you and I are the same age. We were both born the year the Bruins won the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup in 72, and uh, and it, it took us 39 years to be able to celebrate again, and that was how we actually got to know each other was when you were covering that that magical run in 2011. But, but uh, tell us about your love of hockey and how it all happened. You know, I guess I was born into it, like a lot of people in New England and the uh, the glow of Bob Ewer. And my parents had season tickets, actually. I think the first season they got them was Orr's rookie year. And uh, I was born in May of 72. So basically that means I was conceived roughly September of 71. So I essentially gestated during the whole <laughs> 71, 72 Bruins season. Uh, and then my mother was nine months pregnant. She actually attended, I think there were three or four games at um, – Boston guy. Of course, they clinched it at MSG. So I tell people, I was actually at the 72 Cup. I just had obstructed view. Obstructed view. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I remember working in Pizza Hut. I could only afford the obstructed view seats on my my $4.25 an hour salary that was before taxes. Um, That's awesome. And I'm the same way. Like I'm June 72. So I tell people I was technically alive in terms of I had a heartbeat. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't remember it. And uh, I certainly don't remember seeing seeing Bobby Orr, but uh, but yeah, I mean Charlestown, mm-hmm. uh, rich hockey tradition. Yep, you know whether we're talking Jack O'Callahan or you know some of the the, the guys that are in the NHL today from 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 Charlestown. But you're a townie, and you know to like talk to us about what uh, you know what that's uh, that's been like. You know for you to to grow up in that community, and it's such a such a Boston. Community, yeah, it's, it's it's quintessential Boston, and yeah, a huge hockey history there. I mean, there's been so many good players, and you know, there were so many guys back in the '70s, even into the '80s. I think that you know, obviously, the history of Boston, the way things played out with schools and stuff, such in the '70s, there was a lot of guys who probably got screwed out of maybe having, uh, if not pro careers, maybe at least going to college. And there was, a, well, I think, a whole generation of guys who who kind of got screwed out of maybe having the uh, the opportunities they probably should have. But you know, guys have just persevered. I mean, there's 
So many kids I grew up with that were outstanding hockey players. Me, I couldn't skate where at the lick. That's how I became a street hockey goalie. My brother and his friends would just throw me out there. But I, another name, Jimmy Vesey. I mean, he's probably the, the one of the biggest names. Jackie O'Callaghan, you mentioned, obviously, the miracle. But my generation, I mean, I watched big Jim Vesey play over Christopher Columbus High School. That was all city kids. They were kind of our heroes, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, going to see all the Columbus games. Um, and, and it's been nice to see the last, like you said, guys in the NHL, a lot of these guys who maybe grew up and, you know, maybe moved to the suburbs and had kids, you're seeing second, third generation guys. If they didn't grow up in Charleston, maybe their dad did or their grandfather did, or maybe they played there as a youth. So it's nice to see that, you know, the, the I guess the Charleston seeds have spread all around the Boston area, and we're seeing, you know, uh, sons of townies and grandsons of townies playing in the league these days. Yeah, no, it, there definitely is a big, uh, when you think Charlestown, you think, uh, you think hockey. Mm-hmm. I think Jack O'Callaghan and what he did at BU and in the 1980. Uh, how much of a symbol is, is he there in Charlestown? Oh, I mean, everywhere you would go back. I mean, what was it? The 99. It used to be called the front page. When you walk in, there was a big frame poster of you know him. Of course, he had the quote: "We went up Bunker Hill and we went up Lake Placid." Which, of course, <laughs> somebody had to give him a history lesson. We didn't quite win at Bunker Hill, although it was. A, a spiritual victory, but yeah, everywhere you went, you know, Jackie O'Callaghan or something to do with the with that win was all, all like omnipresent. So you always kind of had that, you know. I just think that, like I said, the battle with a lot of guys from my era was just, you know, the environment. You know, Charlestown at the time it, it was a it was a tough place. There were a lot of you know, like any inner city, a lot of tough challenges, and some guys got through it, some guys didn't. But so even if you could be one of the better hockey players, there was still a lot of you know uh, societal uh, environmental challenges you had to get through as well. How uh, how real was like uh, some of the movies? depictions uh, like in the town uh yeah charlestown i i mean it's was pretty accurate i know you know like a lot of people you you're sensitive about your neighborhood and how it gets depicted and you know i actually had a, a, a played an extra i'm sorry i was an extra in that movie so i you know i was kind of sensitive too but that movie kind of nailed it it really kind of caught uh, an aspect of that town and you know i think in the late 80s early 90s where yeah a lot of guys are still kind of making a living doing that way. And uh, Ben Affleck did a good job. But it's also, like he says in that movie, you know, it's a small percentage of the people here. And, you know, I've never remembered seeing that in a movie before where a, where a, a director put a note in like that saying, hey, you know, these are good people. And I was almost like he was worried about getting getting a kick in the fanny afterwards because he didn't want to offend anybody. But, yeah, the movie was accurate because uh, you can't deny that's what happened. But it's also, you know, just a small slice of life from the town. That's uh, two things we have in common, being uh, extras in a movie, uh-huh. although uh, the one I was in, is probably no one's really heard of. It was called For the Boys with uh, James Caan and Bette Midler. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The World War II, uh, the Bonstorm. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I was I one of that. the <laughs> Citadel cadets that was throwing the hat in the air when her when their son graduated from military. That was that was when we were all, I want to know, we were, we were all compelled to be there. We were all the guys that were in trouble uh, that weekend and, and serving confinements or tours. We all got uh, pressed into duty and they filmed all day on a, on a Saturday. Hey, so. Another Charlestown character who, uh, Kurt, I think you know from around the garden, he's everywhere around the garden, that's Matt Grizzlick's father. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Who uh-huh. is an awesome person and had a chance to, uh, did you know him growing up? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously, you know, my, more of my parents' age, but everybody knew Mr. Grizz, just one of the great guys from Charlestown the last, what, 60, 70 years. I, I mean, everybody in that town probably has somebody who says something bad about you, but I've never heard a bad word about Mr. Grizz. Uh, just been a hard worker his whole life, uh, done a great job raising his family. I, everybody everybody I know loves Mr. Grizz. If, they've, if there's a bad word said about him, I've never heard it. Yeah, John and Kathleen, and, and uh, you know, I just, I know that um, at, at one point he was you know, didn't think it was a good idea for Matt to leave, to leave Boston. He felt like he wasn't ready. He was, was kind of, you know, concerned about him going out to Michigan, but it ended up being a great move for, for Matt to go out leave Belmont Hill and, and, and play on the national team. And, and um, I think it's a great part of his story. But for our listeners, um, you know, Mr. Grizzlick works at the garden. Right. And he's been a worker there for what, 30? No, I think it's over 50. Over 50. Yeah, 50. Over 50 years. years. Like, you know, when you go to certain arenas, especially the garden, you have people that are part of it and the characters and everything else. And he's definitely one of them. That's for sure. Yeah, the ice crew Uh, slash bowl gang. Yeah, and you think about what what the job they do. I mean, to think 50 years of doing that, think of all the games that they have to convert from. You know, from the Bruins to the Celtics, back to the Bruins, you know, to the ice, then the concerts and all the various things. And to, to be doing that for over 50 years, I mean, that is a definitely a labor of love. Well, that's the thing, too, about Charleston. 
town. Uh, gotten to know Mr. VC over the years. Uh, oh yeah, big Jim. Big Jim big VC. Jim. He's a uh, a staple now. He's a scout for uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Might be one of the great characters in the game. How well have you gotten to know him over the years? Uh, pretty well. I mean, I've, like I said, when we were 10, 12 years old, Jim, he was the local hero. I mean, he right. was, you know, when you're an 18-year-old senior playing at Columbus, everybody in town wanted to be him. And, you know, he's been family friends for a long time. I've gotten to know Jim the last 20 years very well. Actually, we went to the 2010 Stanley Cup together out in Chicago. We did a little road trip. So, matter of fact, they bumped into him last night. Yeah, he's he's been great for the game. Like I said, he was, he was a, a hero to our, our generation. And now it's, you know, all these young kids in town have... You know, Grizzy to look up to now. And, I, you know, I think Grizzy, too, is sort of, I don't know if validation is the right word, but, you know, I mentioned all these kids kind of had to grow up outside of the town, and it, it was nice to have Grizzy not have to leave town and, and still go pro. I think that was uh, that was nice for a lot of people there because, you know, you see, you know, uh, like, you know, Jim, well, Jimmy's son, for example, and Tommy Fitz's kids, they all kind of grew up you know, in the suburbs, and, and they've gone pro. So the fact that Grizzy didn't have to leave and went pro, I think that was a feather on the cap yeah, for a lot of people, pretty, too. pretty cool. And I remember big Jim at Merrimack and just like he'd get the puck on his stick was like ding ding and that was like yeah, in the yeah. net like there was no time because you know and he'll be the first to say he, the skating is what what held him back from mm-hmm. being what he could have been at the pro level but you know in terms of being a college player and and what he always had was that ability to just get the puck on his stick off his stick so quickly Great. so accurate heavy hard shot uh, just you know, unbelievable score. You know, at the at the local and you know the collegiate level, and and even in the in the minors. You know, he's oh yeah, perfect as hell. Yeah, first ever. Uh, I think he scored the uh, Providence Bruins' first goal in franchise history. Oh, yeah. I believe that is correct. I remember him playing on that team for sure, and, and pretty much put Merrimack on the map, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, yeah. back in it was eighty seventy eighty eight. It wasn't very well known outside of this right. area, and he he really put him on the map. And not to mention the IHL, him the old MTV line. Yeah, uh, uh, Michelle Mongo, Jim Vesey, and Jim Tomlinson, one of the yeah. one of the best lines in minor league history. So, yep. and yeah, I was, I was a scout with the Blues back then, so Uh-oh. I used to watch these guys play. And uh, anyway, he was he was he was tremendous. So it's fun for us to sit down and 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 talk to you. This might be the first time ever, right? You've been interviewed in a podcast. Give us a little credit for this. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll play we'll play a lot of that. <laughs> I don't, don't sue anybody else out there. But. Yeah, no, but it's fun to have you here. Uh, fun to be here. What about your a- academic background? Uh, we were just talking beforehand. You, you, I think you went to Northeastern and then headed to elsewhere. Yeah, I graduated from Christopher Columbus High School in the North End, last graduating class before the Archdiocese shut us down. I went to Northeastern. I actually, believe it or not, Matt wanted to be a lawyer back in the day. And, yeah, I was a big L.A. Law fan, and for some reason I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, and then I went to... There's a lot we could do. We could do a whole podcast yeah. on that. <laughs> can I, we can unpack that. You would have been a pretty good lawyer, I think. In North, I was going to Northeastern, but I, I was at the College of Criminal Justice, and I was commuting every day. I was like, you know, I grew up watching Animal House and, you know, Revenge of the Nerds. I was like, this isn't this isn't college. I'm taking the T the to school. So I quit my uh, freshman year, and then, you know, being a lawyer kind of faded. Then I took some time off, and I ended up going to North Adams State as a true freshman. And then I, I fell into the school paper my, my freshman, sophomore year. And, you know, I had always had, a, like, I guess a love of media. I've been reading the paper my whole life. And that kind of got my, I guess, journalism career started as a writer, uh, covering the school paper for, you know, four or five years. Oh, not four or five years, about three or four years up there. And yeah, I tried to get a newspaper job graduating, but you know, at, the, at that time, papers were dying on a daily rate, so it was it was a tough racket, tough racket to get a, a paid writing gig then. Yeah, I mean, it's, Kurt, Kurt and I were talking about you beforehand. We're like, how did this guy get from Charlestown to spit and chicklets? So it's fun for us to kind of fill in, you know, kind of fill in the blanks of of where you know how you got where you are. So that's interesting about the uh, journalism, you know, back then. Uh, where where did you pick up journalism again, and what job did you have after school? Um, I mean, I I went as an undeclared major, and you know, intro to journalism was pretty much an easy class. Everybody took it, and I you know I was I did well at it. Like I said, I I never called myself a writer. I didn't write a lot. I guess I was probably good at it and just didn't know it. Uh, but I always had an interest in newspapers. Always like I was reading the Herald probably when I was six years old. I just always had a, had a love for papers. So that was I guess where it started. I covered the school paper, but when I graduated, there were no job prospects. I was like, you know, there was nothing out there. Papers were dying. And then, of course, Boston Sports started in 2003. And Dave, you know, Dave Portnoy started, which is crazy. I did open a newspaper when they were closing daily. And it was uh, 2007. He reached out for a Bruins blogger, and I sent him a sample blog. He didn't reply. He just posted it. So I, I, I guess I got the gig here. Never never heard back. That's, that was the equivalent of a byline for, you know, uh, having your 
blog post on the internet. And I was, I guess, off and running at that point. But even it was still a long time before podcasts came out because podcasts really weren't even a thing back in 2007. Yeah, 2007 wasn't a great time for the Bruins. Uh, no. They had, uh, you know, they had um, had to move on from Dave Lewis, uh, you know, and Peter Shirelli's first year and high expectations. The post lockout uh, didn't go well. So um, watching the, the Bruins evolution and, and, and being on the ground floor, so to speak, with Barstool and then ultimately culminating because one thing Shirelli did say is he had a five-year plan. Yeah. And five years, boom, there it is. You know, 2011, Zidane Char is picking up the Stanley Cup and he's losing his hat as he as he yanks it overhead and the hat goes popping off. And, man, what a, what a, what a run. So, you know, what was just – as you were going through the years there with Barcelona and you were around the team and you were covering it, what were some of your observations? And when did you really start to think that, hey, they, they might have something here? Um, I'd say like 08, 09, that was like, okay, this, this team seems like they're getting things together here. Like this, this is a, a, an open window here. Um, it was funny too, how, how much easier it is to write about a team when they stink, when then when they're good. I'm not that it's not, it's fun to do when they're good, but when they're bad, it just always seemed like to be easier to write about a loss. But yeah, I would say that 08, 09 season was like, okay, this, this team's kind of humming into, into form here. Of course, Mark Savard before the injury, he was tremendous. And, and you felt like, all right, this is this is a team that won the Cup. And then, of course, the disaster of 2010 with Philly. And, you know, and if anything, the next year, well, I made a couple bucks out in Vegas. I don't always tell this story. But I did put a few extra bucks on him before the 2010-2011 uh, season. That, so. Was that Scott Walker who scored that goal? That was in 2009. That was 2009. Okay. 2009 yeah, yeah. when he was with Carolina. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to you've got to just shop with the memory. Sometimes some, yeah. some of the the dates, yeah, I do kind of get a little fuzzy with. But yeah, yeah no, that, yeah, that oh eight oh nine. That's when I was like, okay, this this team's got to win it here. This this window, the next couple of years. Then after the oh ten disaster, I felt good going into twenty eleven because I I put a few more bucks on them than I usually do. Well, that's that what we talked about, like the adversity that that team went through in terms of the rebuilding, the ability to have uh, Chara and Bergeron building that culture, which. I think carried culminated in in 2011, and the adversity they faced uh, was good. Now, how much access did you get to the players back then? I mean, you're blogging. It's you know 2007 onward. Did you get to, in the locker room? Like, uh, were you down there? The first couple of years I was blogging, I, I was just doing it. You know, from my living room. I didn't. I'd go to whatever games I might have tickets to, and then uh, actually 2010, 2011 was the first year yeah, I actually had the, when, the pass. Yeah, yeah the, that's the, when we met up. Yep, yeah, the Bruins were very generous from from day one with me. The first time I applied, I actually got approved for that season. So you know, I didn't have any more access than, than anybody else, and you know, I, I wasn't well known. Boston was somewhat well-known, but I didn't get, like, any extra attention or anybody. Was this your full-time job blogging back then? Or no, 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 it wasn't. I wouldn't even really call it a, a, a job implies I was getting paid. I was yeah. very I was very much a volunteer, and, you know, Dave was generous to let to let me blog, but, he, you know, he said, I'm, up, I'm never going to have a full-time Bruins guy. So, he, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I had this as a promise that's going to lead to a job. It was like, hey, you can sort of have this chalkboard for yourself, and, you know, if I, I could have said I'm not getting paid, I'm going to take my ball and go home, but then... It's like yeah. then what? Then you what? lose the access. You had the access. Exactly. I had That's... the access and I had the audience. You know, it's like you could say, oh, geez, I'm not getting, you know, uh, compensation for it. I'm going to leave. But it's like, all right, what are you going to start your own blog spot and write for 100 people or just keep That's... writing for Bostel and write for however how many hundreds of thousands? But, might but it That's be. what we, we tell young kids all the time. Like any experience is good experience. Yeah. And, and you were building, you know, your media repertoire, if you may, you yeah. Know, through well, those years. Well, like, like I realized, you know, as we'll probably get to, is I was sort of building up my um, credibility with Ryan Ryan Whitney all these years. It wasn't a, a grand plan, <laughs> but you know, because if I if he didn't think I knew what I was talking about, he, he probably wouldn't have ended up pairing up with me at a certain point. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. And I, anyway, it's uh, so back then it was more about blogs, but really back then there was no podcast, right, Kurt? I mean, yeah, I mean, podcasts is, have have really exploded mm -hmm. in the, kind of the last decade. But yeah, it was. Um, I think there were all there were always ways podcasts out there. I remember hearing, you know, seeing them, hearing about them in two thousand around around two thousand five, two thousand six. But I think what changed on the podcast front, and, and RA can you know may, maybe back me up, is the platforms and way they're disseminated. You know, more and more people are commuting, and they're or they're in their cars, and they want to have something to do, or they're working out, or or whatever, right? And they want to have something to listen to to fill the time. And so I think that's what that the accessibility for podcasts, you know, Apple, Spotify, all of these services that offer them up, and so now you have a pro proliferation of them, and you know, one of the challenges is you got to have something 
that's worth listening to that people are going to listen yeah. to and that's what you guys you know certainly stumbled stumbled upon or maybe it was some grand design the evil plan of 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 you guys uh, whether it was you wit i think you i mean would love to hear the story yeah i mean i, I before we get there I, I think it's also the rise of of barstool in terms of their ability to utilize media social media in particular and they kind of caught the wave, all right. And you were able to jump on the on the blog uh, part of things. But how, wh- wh- how did you first meet Wit? I mean, oh, I'll give you a, a wild guess. It was in a bar. Oh, Shaka. shocking! <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, actually at the uh, North Star. Uh, it's no longer a business. That used to be the old Hooters across from the Garden. And I, it was before a Bruins game. And obviously, I knew who Wit was. The local guy made well, and he. I didn't know he, he knew who I was, and he come up and said hello, and we you know we'd shoot the breeze, have a pop or two, and you know we'd bump into each other occasionally, just kind of catch up a little bit, um, and you know we weren't like you know talking on the phone or buddies, we'd interact on Twitter, and then when he officially retired after his, he went to Russia and then he went to Sweden, yeah, we, he went everywhere, yeah, he went all over the place, suitcase, he came he came home and uh, I think December fifteen, and he and he put out a tweet, um, said hey, I'm looking to start one of these podcast things, and he actually tagged. Biz in it, Paul Biz Bissonette, our, our future yeah. co-host, and Biz said, "Hey, I'm playing for a couple more years." And and I replied, kind of half jokingly, hey, "Are you looking for a partner?" And he said, he slid into my DMs. He's like, "Are you serious, RA?" I says, "100 percent." He said, "Do you know how to podcast?" I said, "No, but I'll learn." And because I had always wanted to start a podcast myself, but I didn't, you know, you, you, I don't want to do it for 50 people, or 100 people. You know, you want to do it for so it's worth it. You want, and obviously, I didn't plan on getting getting Ryan Whitney, but uh, he said, "Let's do it." And Within two months, we had our first episode out. We just sat down and very rudimentary. I mean, very raw sounding. And like I said, I was pretty much the co-producer, so I didn't know what I was doing. So, so that started in 2016, correct? First one, February of 2016, our first yeah. episode, yeah. And I remember listening. I, I dialed back and, and prep for this. I, I listened to your first episode. And yeah, it wasn't fluid, but no. you could tell the personalities and, right. and kind of everything uh, from there. Um how did in the early days was it just had Grinelli come on or was it just you and and Wit just playing around? It was just me and Wit. Uh, he'd come over. I was living in Salty at the time. We'd sit there on my couch and just talk. And you know, chemistry is a funny thing. I mean, well, I, I'd say you can't make it in a lab. I guess if you're a good scientist, you probably could. But me and Wit, we had it. Like I said, we didn't grow up together. We weren't like boys from way back in the day where we knew each other's nuances or whatever. We just we just talked. We're two guys who like to talk. We like hockey, and and, it, and we just clicked right away. And for, I'd say, two, three months, that was the, the routine. I would take the file, send it off to an intern who would compress it and somehow get up to SoundCloud. I don't even, I don't even know how to get up to SoundCloud. And then, funny enough, I got an email. A uh, kid from uh, Burlington, Mass, says, hey, I like, I like your show. It sounds good, but I, it could sound a lot better. Uh, I'm a big fan of you guys. Uh, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, here's my name and address. Now, I would get emails like this all the time, you know, because our audio did, wasn't good. I wasn't, a, I wasn't an engineer or producer. But everybody was out of state. I said, you know, we need someone on site. And then it said, uh, Mike Grinelli, Burlington, Mass. And I said, well, let me save this one. I'll put this aside. The kid's local. And lo and behold, no no BS. The next day, me and Whit were taping. And a mixer crapped the bed. Now, because we didn't have an on-site producer, we didn't know that. So we still kept talking for another 40 minutes. And I was like, oh, my God. It was a great show. And then I looked. I said, you know what? What this kid emailed me last night. Let me reach out to him. That was Grinelli, and because he sent an email, and it was perfect timing. Because I mean, it could have been a week earlier, a week later, it might not have played out. So, you know, I tell like young guys who are young gals who ask for advice, just don't not do something. I mean, nothing's going to happen if you don't do anything. So the fact that Grinelli sent that tweet, uh, email to me or the fact that I sent that tweet to Ari, uh, to Ari, to Wit, that's why we have the jobs we do because we sent these simple little letters off and it worked for us. So, you know, nothing's going to happen if you do nothing. So you started off and you had Grinelli there and you went about two years with just the three of you. Is that right? Um, yeah, I could have. Yeah, I'll, a lot of I'll, lot of guests. Yeah, a lot of lot of guesswork with the years. It was a year and a half, two years. It was probably two years, but yeah, we play a lot. And one of the guests, and I listened to one of his early ones with you guys, uh, was Biz. Yes. And how would you describe him on the show initially, and and the chemistry there, and how often did you guys have him on? Uh, I'd probably defi- define him as unrefined. <laughs> well, we had him <laughs> on those fir- yeah those first few episodes. Of course, you know I. I don't know if our tone, our content was different. You know, I, I think we may have been very much a lot more of a locker room when we had Biz on those, early, those first early episodes. But every time we had him on, our numbers were through the roof. It was like 
man, this guy is like, uh, he's an animal. Like but but how many Twitter, he has a million Twitter oh, followers. A million now. something Twitter yeah. followers. And we weren't looking to add anybody. Like, it wasn't like, all right, we need to add a third guy here. It was, hey, should we see if Biz wants to join? And <laughs> if he said no, it wasn't like we were moving on to plan B. It was literally like, let's ask Biz if he wants to join. We knew he had something. This mystique, he's a character, he's funny. And lo and behold, he was he was psyched. We asked him, and we brought him on. And that's an analogy I've made before because you know me and Wit, we you know we've had some success before Biz. I I always say me and Wit won a title, and then Biz came along and made us a dynasty. That's kind of the analogy I make. I, I would agree. Um, it seems like you you guys the, the podcast has evolved, but what goes into doing a pro- podcast? Um, you know, pre prep, post editing, like what goes into one episode of a podcast? Now, I know personally that Wit doesn't prepare for any podcast, okay, because <laughs> I've chirped him about that, you know. But what what goes into making one of these podcasts? Um, I mean, even if you're just starting off, the, the equipment's actually very simple. I mean, it's just basically a, a microphone, I mean, a camera. I mean, most laptops already have a camera built in now and just a few extra wires. And then, you know, I mean, you're off and running. It's really easy to start. But as for us, where we are now, I mean, I'm what Biz calls the bus driver. You know, I, I do a lot of the, the, the prep, the research. I, I write out the outline for how the show is going to go. And it's basically you just get all the stories from the week and you kind of just put a puzzle together. Okay, what's the almost like a, building a newscast almost or, or a you know, newspaper? What stories are the top ones? Which are the, you know, the maybe fun stories you put down below? And, yeah, we build the outline. I send it out to the guys. We kind of, you know, edit it during the week. And then... We just rock and roll. Like, nothing's pre-scripted. We know what we're going to talk about, but we don't, like, you know, nothing's pre-scripted. We just roll off the cuff. And, yeah, it's actually pretty simple. I mean, it's it's not rocket science. It's making a podcast. You just hit record, talk, and, and ideally you, you get some good stuff out of it. What are the kinds, other than the obvious big breaking stories in hockey, what are some of the things that will catch your attention when you're going through? Um, you know, so we, we get really good response when we talk non-hockey stuff. Like, I mean, in... God, it could be anything. It could be something off the front page of the paper. It could be something from another sport. Um, maybe something, like, for example, like the Chris Rock, you know, Will Smith thing, like, you know, during the Oscars when he slapped him. That, yeah. That's something that, you know, we talked about. Yeah, everyone was talking first about that, I mean, we, you know, we didn't think we were going to lead off with it, but then you kind of step away. Like, okay, it happened at the Oscars. But even just from a pure pop culture, it was like, this is a crazy story. Like, we gotta, we can't wait till the end of the show to talk about it because everybody was talking about it. So something like that, you know, will take precedence. You know, I mean, obviously, if there was a huge hockey story that week, we probably would have led with that. But it, you really don't know until it happens. But we, we do get a really good response. It could be anything off the beaten path with us. Uh, but we do get our listeners seem to like when we talk about goofy stuff for, for whatever reason. You know, for, for the longest time, you guys were dropping two a week, mm-hmm. and which is a lot. Yeah. You know, then you made the decision to drop them on, I think, Tuesday mornings, and you went to one a week. What What led to that decision? Um, wasn't my decision. I know that. Um, I, I don't know if pe- if the other guys felt we would get being redundant two times a week. I, I just know the other guys wanted to only go to one, one a week. And it's essentially the same amount of work for me because I'm either preparing for two two-hour podcasts or one essentially four-hour podcast. So it really, I mean, it didn't give me any more or less work. So, you know, those guys obviously have different schedules than me. You know, it has two young kids. Biz has a million things going on. So... They said we're going on back to one. Okay, yeah. works for me. You got a lot of content, though. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast will return after this message. Do you want to skate fast? For 50 years, Laura Stam instructors have taught youth players to pros how to skate correctly, powerfully, and fast. Players who attend Laura Stam power skating programs learn how to skate fast by learning how to execute every maneuver in hockey. They become powerful, stable, efficient, and explosively fast skaters. If you can't wait for a clinic, join our subscription skills video service and we'll show you the skills taught at our clinics in an easy-to-use video format with training plans to guide your training. Register or subscribe now at laurastam.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-S-T-A-M-M dot com. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. 
Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Develop your game with Lovell Hockey this summer. Whether you're a youth player or pro, Lovell Hockey has summer clinics, leagues, and college combines that are right for you. Go to LovellHockey.com today to sign up for July and August programs. Availability is limited, so register before they sell out. One of the interesting things is uh, your relationship with with uh, Barstool. Um, I mean, obviously the pod's the pod, but the Barstool is kind of the mothership. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate back in the fall to go down uh, with one of my clients to, you know, a promotion there. And I met Grinelli, and I saw the full setup at Barstool. It's just freewheeling. It's, a, it's become a massive property, if you may. Oh, yeah. And how has your affiliation there helped you guys grow and uh you know, throughout the process. I know. I think it's been a mutually beneficial thing. I mean, we, you know, kind of have a built in Boston audience, a lot of hockey fans in there. And I think the, 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 the vice versa, I guess a lot of, like, we have a lot of fans in Canada that probably didn't know what Boston was. They fell into Boston because of spit and chicklets. And then maybe through us found out other aspects of the site. But yeah, what, I mean, what Dave created, I mean, beyond his wildest dreams. I mean, like I said, to, to start a newspaper in 2003, was crazy in itself, but uh, the fact that it, it got this successful, you know, the blog obviously brought it to another level. But yeah, I, I think it's been mutually beneficial for, for both. Like we've brought in a, a different audience to Boston, and Boston has brought in a different audience in, into Chicklets. And yeah, I, I guess that's and, and you've been able to kind of spin that off into uh, uh, what Wit has in terms of the uh, Pink Whitney. Yeah, and can you please dispel the myth that Grinelli's not doing a vodka? Yes. Let's talk about that. Cause. Mike Grinelli is not coming out with, what was the name? Grinelli? I don't know. Sour some, Apple, yeah. Apple Nelly or something. Yeah. Next time, <laughs> next time you're on Twitter, check the date. If it's April 1st, uh, proceed with caution. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was an April fool's joke. It got both truth, of us. truth and lending. Yeah. I bought it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Might have, we might have to come up with it. Now. I was getting ready to go drive it. to Burlington and pay homage to the young man. Because, yeah. Well, he's not in Burlington <laughs> anymore no, though. No. Is he? no, he's been down the New York area for a long time. New York city. Hey, I'm interested in, in finding out more about these tournaments you guys are doing and, okay. and how you're growing, how you're growing the brand and just growing hockey and people's involvement. Uh, because you, you alluded to it earlier, being a street hockey uh, street hockey goalie, right? And you had a chance to show off your skills. So uh, let's talk about what you did last uh, last summer and Rel- what you have next in the queue. Skills, relatively speaking. Uh, yeah, the Chicklets Cup. Uh, we started it last, was it August? In this, uh, December, in Detroit. We just said, all right, let's let's try to do one of these roller hockey, street hockey tournaments, and we partnered with this company called Hockey Fest. Uh, and this company, uh, they have eighteen wheelers full of hockey boards, and they just drive them around the country, wherever the or continent, and wherever the next tournament is, they just plop them down on a parking lot. And all of a sudden, six hours later, there's eight rinks set up, and it's an actually incredible company. So we we did the first one in Detroit, which was sort of like a dry run. We didn't realize how successful it may or may not be. And we got maybe five, six hundred guys who came to Detroit, you know, for their, you know, guys trips or weekend trips or whatever. And we were like, geez, if we get this many people here, we could probably do this anywhere. Uh, and then we did the next one in Vegas for the at the All Star game, and it was, geez, I don't know, two, three hundred more people. So now it's kind of been a thing. So we're going to have one in Buffalo this summer, uh, July twenty second, I believe it is. So if you're in Buffalo looking for a, a street hockey roller hockey tournament, come on by. So I, w- I was in Vegas for the All Star game, seeing clients and. Uh, I segued up there and I, I got to got to watch this thing live, Kurt. And it was, I mean, a, a festival. It was a festival. Uh, yeah. A lot of chicklets. Uh, the guys were all interacting. The thing that I was taken by was content. Like so much of what you guys do is social media driven and the ability to create certain content. And you had a little locker on the background and you had wit 
talking the boys up and, and everything else. So how much, how important is it in terms of the content generation? That's exactly a huge thing now. It's like, you, you don't just go and like, you know, have the tournament. It's like, okay, yeah. we got to create stories here, create content. That's, you know, it's, you start off doing the podcast, but then like, okay, we got to do all these other things. And sometimes, you know, it can get, get, start. Yeah. Take two. Can tough to get used to if you're not used to, you know, doing that. I'm, I'm pretty much a talker, but when we go on the road. Okay. We're going to, do this and do that and whatever, all these little storylines you try to create. But that was a great one. Like, you know, Merle's coming in from Sweden and playing. Yeah. And Biz recruited. That's, that's Matt Merley. Matt yeah. Merle, yeah. Biz, uh, Biz recruited all these guys from Newfoundland. I mean, this, that whole team coming from Newfoundland, and, and they were they were incredible. They were, yeah, I bet they were pretty good. But they didn't have a goal. They didn't have a consistent goalie, which which stunk because they were so good. If they had an average goalie, which, uh, you know, I don't think I could have stepped in on the A division there. But, uh, yeah, we, we try to do that, create some more storylines. Like, we'll be on Buffalo. We'll, we'll be doing the similar thing. It's just, you know, it, it makes it a little more fun, too. It, it's also the chemistry of your podcast is kind of that locker room fun, which obviously generated back in that Wilkes-Barre Penguin days because Witt played on that team, Biz played on that team, and Matt Murley was a great player back then. And if it was 32 teams, Matt Murley would have played more. Uh, shout out to Merles. I'll send him. I'm going to send him that cut. Uh, but like, uh, would you say a lot of the vibe you guys put out is that locker room vibe and easy goingness? Yeah, I would. You know, and I know we say locker room. Sometimes people get the one impression of it. You know, yeah. it, it, it's the locker room, but it's also very welcoming to, to everybody too. It's not just like you know guys talking you know locker room stories. Is yeah. I mean, because I mean, you were there, Matt. The turnout we had, it, it wasn't just guys there to play. I mean, there were probably more people there to hang out, like and watch guys, gals, people. I mean. We had guys, they drove in from California just to come and hang out. And I'm like, that's like, like wait, you drove four hours to, to hang out? I mean, that's, you know, that's flattering to hear that Like, stuff. the disappointing thing, from why, why are we doing one in Boston? Like, what are we uh, doing? Let's sit tight. You know, we didn't say we're not. All right, we just, okay. wait, uh, no announcement sit, today. Sit but, tight, no uh, announcements yet. But, I mean, you know, it's I, 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 we've done two of them so far. We've got three scheduled, so... Uh, sit tight. I would imagine that we won in Boston at some point. Kind of like the Winter Classic. You're making us wait in suspense. But when it <laughs> yeah. happens, like it did in Fenway, it'll be a big one, right? Yeah, it's going to be uh, Chicago versus, versus Pittsburgh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> sure. Those yeah. are the two teams in every, every Winter Classic, it yeah. seems like. Uh, some of the interesting stories about you. Um, Uh-oh. Oh, I know. My, my son is a senior at Boston College. He's 22 years old, so he listens to you guys a lot. So he's texting me stories to ask. Uh what is this with you walking into locker rooms, like in cup finals? Tre- trespassing, I think it's called. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it happened a couple times. Uh, probably 2004 was the first one. I actually, I ended up going to Game Seven, uh, Tampa, Calgary. I went to work like regular that day. I was working some crumb bum state job, and a friend of mine in Florida called and said, "Hey, I got an extra ticket to Game Seven tonight." Now I'm in Boston. You know, I had just been in Tampa the week before for Game Two, so. I was like, oh, man. I'm like, why didn't you call me early? He goes, oh, it just became available. I said, well, give me a minute. See if I can get out of work. So I fake sick with my boss. She said, oh, you can go home. I was healthy as a horse. I called my dad. I said, dad, come pick me up. I, I need a ride to Logan. You know, he's like, everything all right here? I'm like, yep, no problem. I flew to Logan. I'm sorry, I flew to Florida. My buddy calls me up just as I'm getting on the plane. Oh, the ticket's gone. I didn't hear back from him. I said, well, I'm getting on the plane now. I'll see you when I get there. And I brought cash to buy a ticket, and I paid $500 for... I don't know, 12, 15 rows off the ice. Now, is this game seven? This is game seven, so okay. someone has to win. So I was I was going to spend up to $1,000 because it's game seven. Yeah. The Cup's going to get won that night. And, you know, during the game, I was having fun. I was, you know, having a few cocktails, feeling good. Shocking. And my buddy, I left the game. We left the game after. We watched the celebration. We went to a bar across the street, and he's like, hey, I got to go. I got the kids tomorrow. I can't be stinking like booze and blah, blah, blah. Matt, I don't know how I got back in the building. Like, if I get to the Holy <laughs> Gates, and they're like, well, it'll give you three questions. Ugh. One of them is how did I sorry how did I get back into the arena in Tampa? Don't know how. I had a bag with me. I I must have just BS them and said I was with media, or I found the door that I was. And this unlocked. is pre this is pre barstool, so no credentialing or anything. Pre pre yeah, barstool, yes, yeah, pre barstool, no credential, nothing like that at all. Uh, and then I just walked in some there's some restaurant in the Tampa uh, yeah. arena there. I walked yeah. in and I saw uh, a, a friend of mine who was friends with a couple guys in the team, and he turned around. And he's like. How the hell did you get in here? And I, I don't. I said I don't know. I still don't know. And next thing I know, I'm sitting there having a beer with Monty St. Louis and Brad Richards, and there's the Stanley Cup. And I didn't have a camera that night, which is funny. I was kind of bummed out because, oh man, no one's gonna believe me. And then two weeks later, uh, I got an email picture of St. Louis and me kind of in the background, and he's got the fresh cuts on his face, so you know it was it was from that night. Right. And then that was yeah, that was the first time I did it. And then in 2008, 
similar story. I got a, a ticket off Craigslist, flew to Pittsburgh on a whim, and that was only game six. I didn't know they were going to win the cup that night. This is great. And it was the last uh, the last game of the season at the Igloo. So I was just waiting out the ushers. I just pretended I was on my cell phone. One of these, you know, doggies on his phone, like, before everybody had a cell phone. And the ushers ignored me. They're like, oh, this guy's a clown, whatever, on his phone. <laughs> so I just walked down the stairs behind him. You know, that the Igloo is this old barn with all kinds of doors and, you know, entrances and exits everywhere. So I just walked in. First door I opened, it's... There's um, Dan Cleary just giving out sips of the cup. I was in that room 10 seconds, and I was drinking out of the cup. I was like, hey, Dan, can I get a sip? He's like, yeah, sure, because if you're in that room, they, they just assume, assume they you're assume there. supposed yeah. to be there. I need there. to ask Ray Shiro. Ray was there too, right, the GM? Um, well, he Pittsburgh. No, yeah. this is when Detroit won it. Oh, Red, this is when the okay, Red Wings went No, wait, no. Well, here's yeah. what's funny about the story. Now, I'm drinking out of the Stanley Cup 2008 down the hallway. Who lost the Stanley Cup? guy named ryan whitney who we don't know each other yet so this is sort of cosmic i don't know serendipity yeah. thing i guess he was in the losing locker room i was in the winner locker room we don't know each other and then a few years later we yeah, do end up meeting and starting the podcast yeah. so i you know i still bust his chops about that but and it wasn't the first time i think i saw a photo of you uh photo bombing a certain former president of the united states oh. somewhere along the line um bill clinton is that did oh. i did i actually that wasn't a photo that was a straight up picture uh picture wasn't even a photo bomb yeah he was he was having lunch a dinner with don henley uh, over the back bay sometime one time and we had word spread at, at my office oh bill clinton's having having lunch over the, uh, that that was at the palm and you know all of a sudden there's a crowd for him and the secret service is there and, you know and you know, he's coming out and I, I had asked this this guy had a camera this is like a pre-cell phone camera like hey if i get a picture with him can you know can you take a picture and the guy's like yeah yeah sure so he comes out, you know, you're starstruck. If you've never seen a former president, whatever your opinions, I don't, you know, whatever. I know yeah. everybody has their opinions nowadays, but yeah, you get starstruck. It's, you know, he was, he wasn't president anymore. And everyone's just like, and I just said, and he had been in Boston like four times in like the last couple months. And I just said, you know, I'll talk to him. I say, Mr. President, you can't get enough of this town, can you? And he's like, I love this town. <laughs> so, so I just, I says, you got, I says, Mr. President, got time for a quick, quick pitch? He's like, sure, why not? So, <laughs> so, so not a photo bomb, but an actual photo. An actual That's photo. awesome. And they said, the only thing is you can't pull out a, a pen for an art because then they think yeah, they might yeah, pull yeah, out yeah. a weapon. So I just, you know, got alongside him. He's a big dude. Like I'm not I'm not a short guy, six one or whatever. He's like six five and he's a he's a big dude. And I got a picture with him. Took I was the only person who asked him. He took a picture and the guy who took my uh, who took the picture, I gave him my address and God bless him, like a month later in, in the mail he sent a nice little like five by seven of me and me and Bubba saw my only my only pitch with a president. Yeah, well, and again, it gets back to somehow you find a way. So here you are. Hey, uh, President Clinton's go over here, and there goes Ra. Boom. Yeah, well, yeah. Our, we're back for it. It's, 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 what's interesting is uh, through the internet and podcasts and everything, we've developed celebrities who didn't think they'd become celebrities. I said that to Grinelli when I met him. I said, "Do you ever think you'd be a?" Celebrity, he's like, I'm not a celebrity. I know you, yeah, you, fa- a, you fancy yourself not as a celebrity. Not a word I okay. used to describe myself. All right, but. so what, what happened with you? You were standing with Nathan McKinnon once, and <laughs> you tell the story. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he, the, I think it was the last time Colorado was in the garden before the um pandemic stuff, COVID stuff. Yeah. So we had Adam on the show, we interviewed him and um. Sidney Crosby a couple of years back went up to Halifax hung out with them great guys awesome guys like the people up there were so nice to them just letting them be so I, next time he's in town I said I'll pop down and say hi to, hi to Nate that, not that we're like buddy buddy but you know I figured he might might be nice to say hi so I went down and um, he come out of the locker room and we're just kind of doing the walk and talk from the locker room to the buses at the garden and one of the, the bull gang guys was taking the chairs apart and he looked over and he kind of did a double take and he starts walking over, and I'm like, oh, I, I kind of, like, stepped aside thinking he was going over to, to McKinnon, and he came over to me to, like, either shake my hand or take a picture, and McKinnon thought it was the funniest thing in the world because he's so used to everybody coming to him, but it was actually me. So it was just kind of kind of a funny little laugh. I guess it was kind of a, uh, a, 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 a wake-me-up wake moment because, you know, here I am with one of the best players in the world, and this guy's coming over, and I don't even know if he recognized who McKinnon was and wanted that's to shake classic. my hand. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that stuff doesn't, you know, you can't let that stuff go to your head. It's, a, it's appreciative, but it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah, it's fun. It's good for yeah. a laugh. But yeah, it's a good story. Can't get a fat head, though. Yeah. Where do you guys see the pod going? I mean, you guys have had a ton of success. Um, you know, obviously downloads, everything. Uh, everything's, you know, grow, has grown all the way along. Where do you see it going? Uh, you know what? I, I guess just 
hopefully just up and up. You know what I mean? Like, I, I kind of just focus on the next show. I know it's probably cliche one day at a time, whatever athlete cliches they say. But, yeah, I, I'm like, all right, we got a show next week. We got, you know, this coming up next month. I don't look years down the line because it, it really doesn't help me at all. I mean, I, I just ideally this show will keep growing and growing. And, you know, I think the fact we've been doing it six years and we've still been able to reach new people that's big man because a lot of podcasts people listen for you know uh, six months eight months maybe a year or two we've had people listening for six years man and that's you know i'm not a big toot my own horn guy but when i people say that i i'm proud of that because i've listened to podcasts and i know like you, you tune out okay i'm sick of this one i don't want to listen anymore and you know our listeners have gone up and up and up and i just hope that keeps happening well, I think probably your uh, your ad reads are uh, you know so spot on. I have gotten better at them. Yeah, I mean I'm the only one, only one who does them anymore. So. I know, no kidding. Like, I think you had Biz do a couple and he butchered them, so yeah. that was it for him. Well, it's always an adventure when Biz does, but yeah, I, I try to have a little bit of fun with them. You know, you yeah. kind of get that like Troy McClure uh, like voice going from The Simpsons. Try to get a little, a little entertaining while while I'm doing it. No, no, there you go. Yeah, and and what I like about what you guys do is you, you said it. You're growing the game. You're you're telling stories. You're you're making people aware of the people side. Um, one of the things you did before, uh, you know, before spitting chicklets on the blog side was tell tell story tell story about a, a young man that you know came from Charlestown and was um, you know was 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 coming up as a hockey player and had some real significant obstacles kind of thrown into his path. Yeah. So let's talk about Aaron Titcomb and 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 how he was able to overcome, persevere. He ended up being a D1 player at, at Merrimack College, went on to have a pro career. Uh, but you you figured that out. You you got onto that and you told the story. Yeah. yeah. That was probably thanks for bringing that up too, Craig. It was probably back when I was thinking I was going to be a writer well before the podcast and, and you know, I, I had my own blog spot which I didn't use too much, but I, I did I wrote a, a story about Aaron who's you know, his dad, I, I grew up with, I knew a little bit. He was, he was killed uh, as a young man. I think he was not even 21 years old yet, his dad. Uh, and, you know, then Aaron had that awful neck injury. And this is a kid who had tons of adversity. He never stopped smiling, never lost his attitude, his positive attitude. Like you said, he ended up going to Merrimack, playing hockey day, he ended up having a, a pro career. I know he didn't maybe get as far as he want, but as far as he wanted to, but uh, people in his family, his friends are so proud of him after what he had gone through. And I'm proud of him as well. And I, I should probably reach out to him to, to tell him that because I haven't talked to him for a few years. But uh, just a hell of a story of perseverance. And I was glad glad to write that about him. And I was I was glad he was able to, 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 make, to make pro hockey and play pro hockey for a few years. It was a hell of a story. Yeah, and it gets back to the community, right, and how close Charlestown is and, you know, people pulling together. I mean, he, he loses his dad and didn't, didn't know his dad. Yeah. You know, his dad was was tragically killed so young and yet this young man is able to instead of maybe going down a similar path or maybe allowing that tragedy to define him he was able to find a passion for hockey of course it, it helps when you're six four two twenty yeah, that yeah um, and also too if, you know when you have a, a very supportive family there too as right, well an extended yeah. family and aaron had that you know i know his you know stepdad jim very well his you know his whole family that you know, supported him every way they could. And, and that's a huge factor, too, when you have family who can, you know, emotionally, financially, and support you in all those ways. That's a big factor, too. Yeah. You know, when he was at Islanders Hockey Club, I think he played Islanders Hockey Club for a bit. And, you know, like, guys like that, I mean, most players, they just want to keep playing. Mm -hmm. You know, they just want to keep playing. And it's really about how long can I play? You know, how can I, how, how can I stay connected to the game? Even if, you know, and, and, and hockey ends for everyone. You know, it, mm -hmm. it ended for Gretzky. You know, it's, it's, it's... a it, it ends for everyone, but the question then becomes, okay, what are you going to do after? Are you going to stay connected to the game? Or are you going to go on and, and do something else? And I think one of the one of the great things about hockey is there's so many good people in it, and they, you learn so many good life skills no matter how far you go. And so, you know, I think that's something that you guys are able to bring out, you know, as well in some of the some of the people you feature. Thank well, you. It's, yeah, it's great storytelling and, and all of that. One question I have for you because you're a Bruins encyclopedia is uh, who's your favorite Bruin of all time? Like, if you were to pick one guy that you'd want on the podcast, even if you've had him before, who would you want to interview? What Bruin? It was we've had Cam Neely was was my, was my guy. I mean, it's, I, I even feel guilty saying that because Terry O'Reilly was always my guy before yeah. that. But Neely just kind of, you know, I don't have to explain, pack that punch. It was the one of a kind player from you know the, the punch ahead and score fifty goals. So yeah, Neely, Neely was my guy, and we we've had him on, and that was. A huge professional thrill because he's not known for liking the media. His interviews on his thing, and he came in. He gave us a great interview, and uh, and another moment I was pretty proud of. Have you had Taz? 
We have not. No. Okay. Well, no. I'll, I'll just tell you if you can get him, he will be get phenomenal. Yeah. I get him. I, like, like I had the, I had the, I'll say the privilege of of watching an NHL game with him when he was happened. His son happened to work on Capitol Hill, uh, and he was in town and Bruins playing the Capitals, and and I was just blown away at just how affable and fun and just some of the stories he was willing to tell me and he didn't know me from Adam I had never really been around him but I'm just sitting to my saying to myself even though I was media working the game I'm sitting with Terry O'Reilly you know, I'm, I'm yeah. sitting with number 24 yeah. Yeah. you know and he was just he was just the best and uh you know we talked about Al Secord and that trade I was an Al Secord guy um, and he said, "I'm still an Al Secord guy." So, a lot of good good things. If you can ever, if you can ever work that, I'd, it would be phenomenal. Ideally, I, I probably should have mentioned the you know, lunch pail AC crew too. We were talking about my Bruins yeah. fandom because you know I was born in '72. Like Kirk, we didn't, you know, as much as we say we're all guys, we didn't really see Bobby. I mean, we he was down here in '76. You're three, four years old. Your memory, your brain's yeah. still jello at that stage. But you know, the first memories I have were the lunch pail AC crew, and 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 that those at Burridge. No, 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 that's no, this later. Is late seventies, early eighties. This, this is, is uh, Jean, Jean, Cashman, Cashman, okay, O'Reilly, yeah, Jean, yeah. Jean Rattel. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that Donnie Jean, Marcotte. Yeah, yeah. He's classic. I man. mean, uh, those, those those Bruins teams. That's the one you Gary fell in love with, and they yeah. were heartbreak. What was it 77, 78, 79. I mean, hey, Channel thirty eight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. too many minutes. That was the, the, my first real heartbreak. So I don't know why I brought that Ricky, up. Ricky was, Middleton. Yeah, Ricky all Middleton. that. Yeah, man. I t- uh, the Brad Park. Brad Park. Yeah, I remember there was a great. Article written by Lee Montville in Sports Illustrated yes, about yes. that tremendous yeah. article. Yeah, it doesn't get old. Lose, yeah, about losing to all the the Montreal teams. He wrote that in 1988. Yeah, hell and, of a writer. We were in high school. Like like we grew up. You know, RA and I grew up being harp. Like you know, there was death taxes, and you're going to lose to yeah. Montreal Canadiens yep. every spring. <laughs> Absolutely, right? yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, when we're when we're sophomores in high school, you know, the Bruins go on the run. Yeah. Reggie Lemlin there goes the jinx. <laughs> do, you, was, do you think I remember going to the Garden back in the? Uh, Late '80s, early '90s, yeah. it was a Buffalo series. You guys were probably there, and there yeah. were fights in the stands. Yeah, that was '88. Yeah, every yeah, but every yeah every uh, section over, I'd look over, and there'd be fights in the stands. If you showed up to the, a Bruins game wearing a Sabres jersey, yeah. or a Ranger jersey, inevitably there was going to be a fight. Yes, back you then know, too. Back I, then, yeah, yeah I, that was a different culture. One thing I've never been a fan yeah. of. I, I, I've never really been a Jersey guy either. But you got you're just asking for trouble. Even if you're the nicest guy in the world, you just there's yeah. just too many donkey fans in, in, in other arenas. Yeah. Also, too, I was at the the very last uh, Bruins playoff game at, at the Old Garden too. I know Against they had the, the Devils. Exactly. Yeah, it was the only time Kirk I saw a wave at the at a Bruins game. The only time. Yes. Really. It was because people knew if they lost that game, that was it. I, I know they had the exhibition versus Montreal yeah, in September. And it was very emotional, yeah. but as far as games that actually you know counted, the fans knew it. Like if we don't win here, this is it. And they were so desperate, they started a wave, and the wave in Bruins fans, nah. But we were so like, okay, we got to do it every camp. People, That's I mean, great. it went around yeah. and around. I, I'll never ever forget the only time Bruins fans did a wave was the last game, yeah, and never they lost. Saw it. I yeah. never saw it. That was Marty Bruder's, uh, you know, first Stanley yeah. Cup. Yeah, and we talked. You know, I know we. You know, there there have been talks in the past about why didn't the Bruins teams do better? There's some really good Bruins teams, and 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 one of the answers is that they played Marty Brodeur yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah. What can you do? Yeah, people <laughs> didn't know how good the Devils were because I mean the Devils yeah. they gave them a couple good battles, eighty eight and ninety, right in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, eighty eight. Yeah. yeah, and that was when they were still wearing the Christmas tree, yeah. red and greens, and that was Kirk Muller and Sean Burke. But then in in ninety four, the Bruins were actually up to nothing in the series. And then the Devils came back and won okay. all four. And then 95, the, the Devils just yeah. crushed the oh, Bruins. Then they spanked yeah. Detroit, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, those are those are great great memories. Did you ever – did you have time for any of the goalies? Who were who your goalie guys over the years? Uh, you know, as a kid, I used to think his name was Jojo Bear because Gilles Gilles Bear. Gilles you, you don't know how to speak yeah. French when you're sick. Yeah. I, loved, I loved him as oh, a kid. Great. Jojo Bear. Of course, obviously, Jerry Cheeve is with, with the mask and stuff. Um yeah, Reggie. But the thing I is, mean, we missed we missed Jerry Cheevers because he went away to the W. You know, and w- he came back. By the time he came back from the WHA, 
you know, Gilbert was pretty well established. And so, like, I keep saying, you know, in 79, if Cherry had just gone with Gilbert, the Bruins win that series instead of losing in seven. But um, C'est la vie, right? Yeah, yeah. The goalie guy, I get get off on tangents. Sorry about that, That's Matt. All right. But, uh, yeah, Lemlin, I was more of a Moog guy. I um, loved Andy Moog. Andy Moog. Stand-up was, style. You don't, you don't see goalies <laughs> Yeah, at 5'7", like or whatever yeah. he was. Yeah. You know, now, it's little, all, now it's all big goalies, you know. Well, yeah. it, I mean, it's all technique. Uh, it's all it yeah, is now. It's all technical. Butterfly, yeah. big. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it makes sense because of the net cover. Like, if, if you've got a six foot four guy, his limbs are so much. I mean, you know, but Mike Vernon and Grant Fuhr, John Van Beesbrook, they were all smaller yeah. goaltenders back in the <laughs> no day. Doubt. That yeah, was just no the doubt. way it was. Quick, quick, fast. Yeah, Vernon. You know. He was kind of a hybrid, too. He started to stand up and kind of get into the butterfly stuff. He's a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame, too. What, what do you think of the current Bruins team and, and, and their, their chances? I would say they're... Uh, just below the top tier of contenders, I would say. And that, I'm still calling them a contender, but I might have them a notch below Tampa, a notch below Colorado. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if they got knocked out in the first round or if they make a, a run to the cup. I mean, Jeremy Swayman, I like what we've seen out of the kids so far. I mean, he's, I guess, unproven in the playoffs. I guess you could say the same for Lena Zulmach and Nett, but I, I like what I've seen out of them so far. And as long as you got Bergeron, Marshawn up front there, that kind of dynamic duo, I, I, don't know, I wouldn't say the sky's the limit, but I think yeah. the Bruins have a good shot at it. Now, I don't know how long this window is going to be open for the next few years, but it's still open as far as I'm concerned. Health will be key. Health, absolutely. That's what I was yeah. say, and, you know. and I think you know, getting Hampus Lindholm is huge, huge because you have a you have Lindholm and McAvoy, right? And they're your, you know, if you're going to build from the net out, and Swayman is the real deal. I think Swayman is the real deal. And I think where they earned, excuse me, correct, where they earned last year was in was going back to Tuca. And I know Tuca, I'm a Tuca guy, I'm not always anti-Tuca, but he was clearly hurting last year. Yeah. You know, when you could see it, the, the way he was struggling, I don't know how they uh, Bruce just didn't go to, to, to Jeremy because the team was playing so good in front of him. And goalies will tell you, teams do play different in front of goalies, whether it's the first guy, the second guy. And that team responded like crazy to Jeremy last year. Not you know, not that they would have beat Tampa, but you don't know. I mean, and I think that was like, man, I really wish they, they had used them last year just to see how they would have done. And plus, you would have had the experience. But... Uh, yeah, nothing would surprise me this year. I don't think the league's ever been this wide open, at least in my lifetime. At one of, I think, 10, 12 teams could win it this year. It wouldn't surprise well, me. Well, you've got eight teams in the East, and those set those spots are set. And then out West, it is wide open. Yeah. I mean, Vegas is struggling mm-hmm. uh, to maybe make the playoffs, Winnipeg, Dallas. So it is, it is interesting. And I think you saw at the trade deadline, more people thought they were contenders than not at times. And uh, people were selling out, especially in the East. It was an arms race. Yeah, and even you know, like uh, a team like Colorado, everybody's favorite. But it's like, all right, well, Darcy Kemp has been great, but it's like you look at his you know playoff stats, and you can't say he's a proven playoff goalie because he was in Arizona for years. And I'm not calling saying he's not, but until you see it, you haven't seen it yet. So I, I, I won't say they're a question mark, but I think there may be a, you know maybe concerns like, all right, if this guy doesn't get it done, man, then you know that that's a that's a key part of that team right there. No doubt. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been uh, this has been great. Um, I think we have room though for one more thing. Do we do we put him on the spot? Do we subject him? Uh, we have, to, we have to, to do it. Do we subject him to the rapid fire sure. round? Let's do it. We have not we have not brought out rapid fire in a while. Okay, so Ra, you are uh, you are in for a treat. Let's so I think it. what we'll do is we'll alternate. Okay, um, and. Uh, uh, you can. Uh, you do you want me to start? Go or? ahead. Okay. Top three. Right. So yep. here we go with the. Uh, we're going to go with the RA rapid fire round. Do the best you can and give us your honest answers. It's time for rapid fire. First up, favorite non-Bruin hockey player of all time. Three of them. Three favorite non. Uh, or one. Uh, I'll go. Uh, Mario Lemieux, no, in no particular order. Uh, Mario Lemieux, Larry Boss. Robinson. Larry. Oh, whoa! Yeah, Canadian. Yeah. And um, I gotta go. I gotta go on a goal, a goalie too. Mike Richter. Mike Richter. Oh, yeah, I gotta go a goalie. Yeah. All right. All right. I, I got one for you. Uh, let's go top two. You're struggling at three. No yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Top two mob movies of all time. Uh, Godfather. Well. I see. I, I I always want to cheat and say The Godfather and Godfather Part Two is one movie, which you could say if you call it The Godfather Epic. But I'll go The Godfather and Goodfellas. I mean, you could put Godfather, Godfather Part Two, Goodfellas, any two of those three. Can't go wrong with that. Nah, that's too easy. Come on. All right. All right. Good one. Good point. <laughs> Apocalypse Now or Full Metal Jacket? Apocalypse Now. Top TV shows 
Uh, cable. Uh, current or all time? Whatever you want. Uh, the top three TV shows, all uh, all dramas, Sopranos, The Wire, Breaking Bad, no particular order. Those are the three best dramas ever. Uh, I got to th- give love to The Simpsons, the early episodes. I know they've been on for 30 years, but that season one through like season eight, nine, some of the best TV ever done, I would say. No. Comedy, best TV comedy ever done. All right. Uh, I'm going to go back to a sports question. Your top two Patriots of all time. Ooh. I mean, yeah, you got to go. You should almost make Brady exclusive. Okay, exclusive, yeah, exclusive, right? in not yeah. including Tom Brady. I'll there you say go. Steve Grogan, uh, and uh, Stanley Morgan. I Stanley mean, yeah, Morgan, I, and you, you and I would have been like besties. Those are my guys. Those were my day. guys in the eighties. Well, I think we covered it all there. Well, I've got one more question for it. you. Two, two of the most underrated movies that the listeners must see. Within you know before the month gets out. Oh God! Any any, any, era, any. I'll say Thief with James. Con- we mentioned yeah. James Conner. Thief with James Conn, nineteen eighty one. It was Michael Mann's first movie. The guy right. directed he yeah. Last of the Mohicans. I'll say Thief, super underrated. And um, where does Wind River rank in your underrated? Oh, per, you know what? Wind River. That's a super underrated movie that should have been nominated for a bunch of Oscars, but. It wasn't for reasons we don't need to spoil the podcast with. But, yeah, Wind River, excellent movie. I'm not sure where it's streaming, but check it out. That's a good call. It's Thanks on for Netflix. There. It is on Netflix. Okay. There you go. Nowadays, they jump from one, one yep, provider yep. to another now. So, yeah, Wind River and Thief. There you go. A couple of dramas. All right. Well, uh, Brian, a.k.a. Rear Admiral, a.k.a. R.A., it has been such a pleasure to have you in to the studio to talk. We, we hit a variety of topics. Matt, what do you think? Pretty good. I've uh, really enjoyed this. You know, I, I think we covered uh, everything we wanted to cover. Uh, we could have delved a little bit more into wit and biz and, and their knuckleheadness. Yeah. But we'll get that next yeah, time. Yeah, we do that part, yeah, too. we'll get that next time. Yeah. yeah. Well, this boys. Was, this was about you today. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Much appreciated. All right. Well, on behalf of uh, Matt Cater, myself, and our mad producer behind the scenes, Steve Safran, and, uh, of course, R.A., uh, this is the end of our uh, podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, we will see you at the rink. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise is a Siemens Media Podcast.